What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. This is Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig. 107.9 and 980 The Wave, now in high definition at 1027 FM HD2. Visit 980wave.com to find out how to listen to us in crystal clear HD. Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Wilmington's Morning News. Welcome into March, March the 1st, 2023. Thanks for spending some time with us here this morning. You can uh, be part of the program as always. You can call or text in your comments at 910-763-4000. That's 910-763-4000. Well, for the last couple of days, we have been highlighting the potential risk of wildfires and fast-moving fires here across southeastern North Carolina with these dry, windy conditions that we've seen uh, pretty much from the middle of February all the way up until, well, a day like today. Well, up in Pender County this morning, a nearly 60-acre brush fire is currently being fought by dozens of fire departments across the area. It's on U.S. 421 between Shiloh Road and Point Caswell Road. It reportedly started around 4.30 yesterday, and that has caused those crews to be up there on the scene and battling back against this blaze. The fire department says that they are currently working on containing that brush fire that is burning. They say that it was caused by previous leaf burning when the fire revitalized and spread, which is exactly what individuals have been warning of is you burn some leaves, you burn some yard debris, you think it's out, and a wind gust comes, picks up some of those embers, goes onto some of that tall, dry grass, and causes the next thing you know, you got a 68-acre wildfire burning. They do note that the fire is currently contained and that there is no imminent danger to the surrounding areas, but there is some heavy smoke in and around that area so be advised again this is on this is up in pender county highway 421 between shiloh road and point caswell road uh if you're looking for the address on 421 it's technically the 1900 block of 421 in willard north carolina so that's where that location is we've got an update on a uh car accident that happened earlier this week or i should say over the weekend sunday it's when two vehicles collided sunday night right near the highway 17 and calabash road near the carolina shores neighborhood and we are learning this morning that one of the drivers that was seriously injured in that accident has now died 79 year old Fiona Menturi of Calabash has reportedly died after that car accident. 
According to details from the North Carolina Department of Public Safety, Vehicle 1, which was a white uh, 2006 Mercury Grand Marquise, was traveling north on 17 in the left turn lane. Vehicle 2, a silver 2003 Mercury Grand Marquise as well, traveling south on 17. Vehicle 1 attempted a left turn from US 17 onto Calabash Road and was T-boned by Vehicle 2. The crash happened around 6.30 on Sunday or uh, 6.30 on Sunday afternoon or evening, I should say, when it happened. Law enforcement is still looking for anybody that might have been in the area during and while that crash took place So uh, because they might have some questions that they are uh, trying to get answered. So if you were in and around that area, saw that accident, you are uh, requested to reach out to the North Carolina State Highway Patrol uh, through their app or by dialing pound HP on your cell phone. So that is a sad story, sad update on that story out of Brunswick County. Well, the frustrations will continue for many drivers, primetime drivers here across southeastern North Carolina as work, ongoing work over at a CSX railroad track on Front Street right near the exit of the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge. Looks like it's going to take a little bit longer than expected. Crews started construction work on a portion of South Front Street on Monday, and that caused them to have to close off an exit from the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge. So if you're heading into town from the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge, you have two ways that you can go. You can go down to Third Street, or you could take the you could come off and take Front Street down towards um, uh, what's down there. Uh, you've got the uh, Waterline Brewing, and down in that area, heading towards Carolina Beach Road. Well, that exit is closed because CSX is doing some rail work, and it has been an unmitigated disaster the last couple of days. We have seen and gotten reports of traffic backing up from practically all the way back to Leland on parts of, uh, not exactly that far back, but pretty close to it, back uh, that far into Brunswick County and in parts of New Hanover County, backing up all the way to Independence Boulevard because of the mass congestion that it's causing. Now, this is supposed to be temporary work, and it's you know Dawson and South 3rd Street, and, uh, uh, excuse me, it's uh, Front Street downtown from um, Dawson over, I believe, is, is where the actual technical closure is. But as CSX has started this work on Monday, well, they now believe it is going to take longer than anticipated as the work was supposed to be wrapped up by Friday evening. And according to CSX crews, well, they say now that it might last until Monday night meaning not only will it be a total disaster all the way through the rest of this week, but the weekend and then Monday. Now, I did reach out to the North Carolina Department of Transportation yesterday. They told me to contact CSX. I did contact CSX, and as you can imagine, I did not hear anything back from them as to what exactly they're doing. I understand you've got emergency repairs, I'm not oblivious or uh, immune to that fact. I'm just curious what exactly they're doing and why at this point it looks like it's going to take over seven days to complete. You you would think if you've got something that is causing such an issue for people getting in and around town, and if it is truly such an emergency, that you would have crew, and I don't know this not to be the case, but I'm saying 
you would have crews working round the clock to try and get this thing wrapped up in a couple of days. Instead, it looks like it's going to be pushing on for at least a week, which for many folks traveling to and from New Hanover County or to and from Brunswick County from the south side, that's just it's just a mess. It's just a total mess. And you've obviously got a lot of very frustrated, annoyed people. Uh, you know, a lot of folks saying this came out of nowhere. I will say that the Department of Transportation didn't put a statement out a couple of days beforehand. Uh, but I don't think you know, we've seen road closures in the past, right? Every couple months, one lane on the Cape Fear Memorial Bridge or the Isabel Holmes Bridge gets closed for maintenance. Yeah, that happens pretty regularly. They'll close one of the uh, oncoming one of the outgoing lanes for maintenance. And while it causes a little bit of uh, back, a uh, little bit of um, uh, backlog, a little bit of traffic and congestion, it's nothing like what we've seen where you've got traffic backing up miles on both sides of the bridge. So uh, if you're a driver in and around that area, some bad news to pass along to you this morning. It looks like it is going to continue uh, at least a couple of more days as CSX continues with what exactly they're doing? Well, your guess is as good as mine. I'll uh, ping CSX again this morning and see if we can't get some statements or comments from them here on Wilmington's Morning News. With the risk of fire and fire spread, we've got two controlled burns I want to make you aware of this morning. There's going to be some taking place down at the Carolina Beach State Park. That's kicking off today. The park itself will remain open, but park advise, but the park advises the public to expect trail closures in affected areas for that controlled burden that's ongoing today, so be mindful of that. And the other takes us over to Moores Creek National Battlefield, in which there will be a controlled burn starting there at 10 o'clock this morning. They note that the controlled burn will take approximately five hours, so into the early afternoon, with residual smoke and small spot fires continuing through the rest of the day in the evening. According to the fire management, they say that for safety and visitors of the staff conducting the prescribed burn, some areas of the park will be inaccessible during the controlled burn. The areas affected include the Savannah Fire Management Unit and a portion of the Southeast Fire Management Unit, which is situated across from North Carolina Highway 210 from the park. So that is what's going to be going on over at the uh, National Battlefield here. Uh, so just be advised of that if you are, um, well, not if you're going to be heading up into that area, but if you're in and around that area, you're going to want to be mindful of that as um that's a, another situation where preemptively they are working on some of this stuff ahead of what could be uh, some dangerous burning. And it's not really too far from where this Morse Creek um, control burn is taking place off, off of Highway 210 from where the 421 burn is ongoing in Pender County. So uh, very much just trying to stay ahead of that. Be advised if you see smoke in that area as well. It's now 6.16 on Wilmington's Morning News. It's great to have you here on this first day of March 2023. It's currently 60 degrees out at the Wilmington International Airport. It's going to be another nice warm day to kick off your March. Temperatures jumping and soaring into the upper 70s ahead of some uh, warmer conditions that we've seen the last couple of days. 
it will stay warm over the next couple of days as well. Of course, there is the possibility of a uh, couple of brief showers, maybe late tonight into tomorrow morning, maybe even a, a slight risk of a passing shower this afternoon ahead of uh, some cooler temperatures and more rain chances Friday and into Saturday. So that's a look at your forecast here this morning. We will grab our first commercial break here at 617. On the other side, we have got results from Illinois and the Chicago mayoral race that took place last night. Those details coming up after this. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. If it's happening in Wilmington. First thing in the morning. They know what's going on in the city. You'll hear about it on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Well, an era is in fact over for the people of the city of Chicago as an election taking place last night. Well, it is a success for, at least in part, a success for law and order as Lori Lightfoot, the incumbent mayor, did not place in the top two positions, meaning that she will not make her way to an April runoff which means that she will be and will stand right now as a one-term mayor in the city of Chicago. The two top vote-getters in there include Chicago Public Schools CEO and City uh, Budget Director Paul Velas, who, yes, is a Democrat, but does actually have the endorsement of the police union, so he's got to presumably be a little bit tougher on crime. a, uh, a, a ladybug is tougher on crime than Lori Lightfoot is. So uh, he's got, uh, he was the top vote getter there, getting nearly a third of all votes cast in the eight-way race. In second place was Cook County Board of Commission member Brandon Johnson, another Democrat. Both of them will be facing it off on April the 4th as uh, neither of them were able to get that 50 threshold, that 50% threshold that was needed in the general election there. Here's Lori Lightfoot last night after conceding after uh, her unsuccessful re-election bid. Let's listen in. So thank you and and thank everyone so much. Um, I feel a lot of love in this room as I felt every step of the way on this journey. Uh, I've called Brandon Johnson and Paul Vallis uh, to congratulate them on their victories in advancing uh, to the runoffs. We were fierce competitors in these last few months, um, but I will be rooting and praying for our next mayor to deliver uh, for the people of the city for years to come. Thank you. Four years ago, I looked into the camera and spoke directly to young people of color who looked like me and to every kid who felt like I did um, when I grew up. And I'm going to do that again tonight. I told you back then that anything is possible with hard work. Oh, man. And I want you to know that no matter what happens along the way, you should always believe that. No matter what happens along the way, the city of Chicago has fallen into complete and total lawlessness. The murder rate is up like 65% so far this year. What the hell is she talking about? 
anything is possible. Yeah, if you want to get murdered in the streets of Chicago, I guess that's pretty likely at this point. Somebody's getting shot every three hours. Somebody's getting murdered every 15. Because it's true. Believe that you can bring about change. <laughs> believe that uh, you matter. And believe that you can love who you want to love what? and do what you want to do and be who you want to be. You will not be defined by how um, you fall. You will be defined <laughs> by how hard you work no. and how much you do good for other people. Yeah, but see... <laughs> You can't, you can't say that you're going to be, re you're not going to be remembered with how you fall, when you've allowed the city that you ran to be the mayor for, when you've allowed crime, violent crime, death and destruction to run amok. You can't say that, Lori. That's that doesn't make any sense. Uh, you matter, and believe that you can love who you want to love and do what you want to do, and be who you want to be. You will not be defined by how um, you fall. Well, you will, but... You will be defined by how hard you work mm. and how much you do good for other people. So there you go. That is, uh, that is all the, the great work that Lori Lightfoot believes that she'll be remembered by for all the great things that she's done for the people of Chicago as the people of Chicago look at crippling crime statistics thus far. There have been 86 people murdered in Chicago so far this year. There have been 80 people shot and killed. Six others murdered in stabbings. 283 people shot and wounded. Total so far, year to date, as of you know, last night, obviously, 363 people shot in the city of Chicago. In February alone, 42 people were shot and killed. So, Mayor Lightfoot will be remembered by the way that she fell, which was a completely and totally inept governor. Uh, a mayor, excuse me. A completely and totally useless public official that did not protect the interest of her constituents, that did not protect the people of the city in which she claims that she cares about. I mean, she said it in her concession speech there. That's why she ran for the office four years ago. But that's obviously not, it's obviously not the case. So the final vote total was as follows. 33% of the vote went to Paul Velas. 20% went to Brandon Johnson and Lori Lightfoot, again, the incumbent mayor, only receiving 17% of the vote. She trailed the second-place vote-getter, Brandon Johnson, by almost 20,000 votes, which you might not think is a lot, but in an election where um, you know, the top vote-getter is only getting 170,000 votes, that 20,000 is pretty significant. It just goes to show you, and I mentioned this yesterday on the air, when is it bad enough? That was one of the themes leaving the 2022 midterm elections. Is, yeah, things are kind of on the fritz. Things aren't looking super hot. But are they bad enough yet? 
and I contend to you, I did at the time and I do right now, that for the vast majority of the American populace, things just really aren't that bad yet. But unfortunately, I think they will get worse. In Chicago, obviously things are bad enough. A 63% increase in crime in January year over year is bad enough to cause people to look another direction. Mayor Life will likely go down as one of the worst mayors in modern American history. Complete and total crime and lawlessness running amok in her city. What's up, folks? Anthony Armstrong here. Bob Popple, along with Super Bowl champion Carl Banks. Hey, NFL fans. This is Solomon Wilcox, former NFL safety and host of the Believe in Bengals podcast. Catch my show and all 32 Believe NFL podcasts. Listen in to former players give their inside perspective on your favorite team. Search Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's always football season, wherever you listen. This is Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig. I am so enjoying this morning's program. 107.9 and 980 The Way. We are tracking some uh, breaking news this morning out of Greece as a train collision, a passenger and freight rail colliding in Greece apparently has left more than 30 people dead, 85 injured this morning. This reportedly happening in northern Greece as multiple cars derailed and at least three burst into flames after the collision near the town of Tempe on Tuesday just before midnight. Rescue crews illuminated the scene with floodlights before dawn on Wednesday as they searched frantically through the twisted, on-fire, smoking wreckage for survivors. Survivors said that several passengers were thrown through the windows of the train cars due to the impact. Can you imagine? Wow. They said others fought to free themselves after the passenger train buckled, slamming into a field next to the tracks near a uh, gorge about 255 miles north of Athens, where a major highway and rail tunnels are located. So that is the uh, story. That's something that we're tracking this morning uh, internationally as a a fiery train wreck in Greece, a passenger and uh, freight train somehow colliding. Well, I'm sure you'll hear more about that here throughout the day at the the top of the hour uh, from Fox News right here on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Well, here's the thing. We've got rules. We've got policies. We've got procedures. And they need to be followed and doled out fairly. And for some members of the New Hanover County Board of Education, they believe, well, that that is no longer the case. As there has been this massive uproar in the past couple of weeks about a group known as the Proud Boys that have been attending New Hanover County Board of Education meetings from what I can remember going back almost two years I remember some of the very early rallies to reopen schools at the Board of Education. Those would have been in early 2021. The Proud Boys were there. So they've been at these meetings for the better part of two years. And from all that I can gather, having not been, of course, to every single board meeting, but I will admit watching all, all of them online, a group of individuals that aren't 
advocating for violence. They're not punching people in the face at the meetings. They're not advocating for violence, unlike some uh, journalists in our community that want to uh, uh, say that they, these individuals need to be you know, taken out back and beaten up. They're just a group of individuals, whether you agree with them or not, that are showing up to a public meeting and voicing their opinions. You don't have to agree with their opinion. You don't have to agree with their stances. You don't have to agree with anything that they do. What you do have to agree with, however, is that everybody in the community has a right to show up to these meetings. You don't get to cherry pick which group is allowed here and which group is allowed there. That's a very slippery slope that I know for a fact the left doesn't want to start with. So, you know, every, so this group, which um, everybody, of course, in the community co- continues to call alt-right or far-right far extremists, well, they've been continuing to show up to the meetings in the past couple of months, and they wear gaiters, those uh, things that you pull up over your face. They wear gaiters, sunglasses, and typically a ball cap. And while there are some questions that have been asked to local law enforcement about, well, what about the policy that doesn't allow masks in public settings like that? New Hanover County Sheriff Ed McMahon, I'll note, a Democrat, has said, well, that rule was kind of revoked back over two years ago with COVID-19. And it was revoked because of some individuals, the same folks that are now screaming about the Proud Boys, that said that if you didn't wear a mask to the Board of Education meeting, you deserve to get, you know, arrested by law enforcement and thrown in jail and never see the light of day again. It was those same individuals, the far, far fringe left, and even moderate people on the left, that were the ones freaking out about masking. And, oh, my God, if you don't put a mask on, everybody's just going to drop, everybody's just going to die, drop dead immediately. Of course, we know that. That was never the case at all. We now know masks are completely ineffective. They were useless. They didn't stop or any spread of anything. It just it it was just a, a a joke. None of it ever worked. So now you've got an individual in Stephanie Craybill who used to be the board of education chairperson. She ran as a Republican. She's been censured by the Republican Party because she has seemingly not voted in the, I, the way that any of her Republican constituents have wanted in the better part of a couple of years that she's been on the board. She now wants to ban people from the meetings that are wearing masks. And I'll note that part of her tenure as the Board of Education chair, she was actively advocating for masks not only at the Board of Education Center, but was advocating for your children to wear masks in the classroom. That's the caliber, that's the individual we're talking about here. She said that she has asked for the discussion about the board's mask policy for a meeting to be put on the agenda for the next regular meeting. That takes place on March the 2nd, or 7th, I should say, 7th, next Tuesday, week from yesterday. But as the board had their agenda review yesterday, the item wasn't on the, um, the item didn't make its way onto the agenda. And of course, now all of a sudden we're going to write news articles about that. Board policy very clearly states that the chair, in this case, the chairman of the board, 
in Pete Wildeboer has up to two regular board meetings to put an item on the agenda. So if you've got a really busy meeting coming up and somebody requests something else, you can push it off to the next meeting. And that is exactly what he is doing. Saying that the discussion about the policy will have to wait until the April meeting. Wildeboer said at the agenda review last night, the agenda has come up and we have a lot of things to discuss. It will be discussed. The policy says it will be discussed in the next two meetings, so I have put it on the agenda for the April meeting. That's just following the rules. There should be no argument about that. Stephanie Craybill seemingly knows the rules. She was the chairperson for you know a couple months. She said, quote, I'm upset we're not talking about it in March. We'll see what happens in March. And if we have another situation like we had last month, then you know that will just show the urgency is necessary. I don't know what the urgency is. You had a very passionate, very busy Board of Education meeting last month. That is not... You had a busy meeting. There was a lot of people there. There was a lot of contention over the transgender sports policy. And people on both sides of the political aisle, people with varying opinions, showed up. Many of them stood in the room. They didn't say anything. Some did, but many just stood and clapped or cheered when somebody on their side said what they wanted. There was no fights that broke out. Nobody was, at least from all, all the information I have, nobody was arrested. Nobody punched anybody in the face. Nobody committed acts of violence against another person. None of that happened. So I don't know what the, the, the say that this is an urgent thing that needs to happen. Urgency is necessary. I, I Based on what? Crable says she wants to make sure that the board complies with state law, saying all I'm looking at is making sure that we apply the law across the board for all of our attendees and that everybody at the meeting feels safe and feels able to speak their mind without having any retaliation. Pretty rich because for the last couple of years, you couldn't take your mask off at the meeting without retaliation. Pretty rich to now say that we want the rules applied evenly for everybody when this board required masks in the Board of Education Center under Stephanie Crable's leadership. And as the public, public information officer for the Sheriff's Department said back a few weeks ago, this you either ha- allow masking or you don't. But you can't have it both ways. And you've still got many individuals, of course, on the progressive left that are still clutching their surgical masks in the Board of Education meetings because it's going to you know, stop the spread of COVID or whatever. And the, sheriff, uh, the sheriff's department made it very clear that if you want us to enforce the mask policy, we are going to enforce it equally upon everybody. No masks. We don't care if you're 90 years old and have a medical condition or if you're somebody else standing in the back of the room with a gator on. If the rule is no masks then there will be no masks. 
And see, the people like, I would assume people like Stephanie Crable aren't on board with that. Right? They want individuals to wear masks for, quote, medical reasons. And the argument that's going to be made and has already been made by some of these individuals is that, hey, we're, gonna, you know, we're wearing these for medical reasons. There's really no way to argue against that. There's really no way to challenge that narrative. What are you going to say? No, you're not. How can you? That's it's not really a debatable topic. They say they're wearing it for a health reason. You're, you can't really challenge them. Now, if groups of individuals are violent at the Board of Education meeting, if they are actively intimidating individuals, if they are putting their hands on another individual, pushing or shoving or hitting them, well, that's a serious problem. But I don't believe any of that has happened. And see, this is exactly and precisely the problem with rules for the rules for the standard that the left always has. They wanted to force you to wear a mask and your children to wear a mask in the school system for the better part of a year and a half, if not longer. And now all of a sudden, they want some people to be able to wear masks, but others not. And that's just not equitable, to borrow a term. That's not an equitable thing to do. The Sheriff's Department has been very clear. You can either have masks and every, anybody or everybody can wear them for whatever reason they determine or will allow nobody to be in there with masks. But you've got to decide. You can't pick and choose. And Stephanie Crable says it's not against one group at all. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. Let's jump on over to our phone lines. Caller, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Nick. How are you this morning? Pretty good. What's going on? I love that you said equitable just to start with. Very uh, nicely done. Oh, I'm telling you what. If you're gonna, if you're gonna constantly be beating these words into my head, I'll just start using them back. It's not equitable. Yeah, we'll start using them appropriately. <laughs> What's up? Um. So for one, we all know Stephanie Crable is a liar, and she's full of it. So we know that her her attack, her assault is because the Proud Boys coming in are actual conservatives. And she is a radical leftist that presented herself like a conservative. Mm. So now she's attacking actual conservatives. And another point on what you said, I was at the Board of Education the night that um, that last meeting. Okay. Um, where this whole, you know, this whole deal about the mass started. I'm sorry, I, I've only had one cup of coffee, but... Um, I was, I was physically assaulted by a couple leftists. I was physically assaulted by the, um, African-American woman who was with the guy that everything kind of started. I call that corner of the board of education, the, the, um, corner of doom. Cause the junk, like Tim Joyner used to sit back there and start stuff. And the last board of education meeting, you know, everything got, started back in that corner but the african-american woman who's with the african-american guy who kind of got into it with the proud boy she hit my bag 
And then there was an older woman, and there are there's video and pictures of them hitting my bag. The deal was it was so chaotic. There was so much going on. The sheriff's deputies couldn't really do anything about it. Mm. I mean, it was just too much going on. And then that whole group of leftist older men started chanting, they are them, they are them. <laughs> and so if we're going to talk seriously about people being um, intimidating, inappropriate, and violent, then we need to talk about the leftists in the room ah. who were intimidating, inappropriate, and violent. And it's just like you're saying about the mask. It can't, you cannot have it both ways. And we know we've been watching this forever. They want it both ways. They oh, want course. to say one thing and do another. Yeah, in case in point. And all we're saying, uh, gonna... we're, just, we're just saying not allowed. No, it's it's not allowed. And in, in, in case in point, all you have to do is look at something like summer of riots through 2020 when cities all across the United States were burned to the ground in what is now described as by many uh, legitimate news organizations as peaceful protests. And anytime there's a, a group of conservatives that get a little out of hand in anything, it is the end of the world. It's the worst thing that has ever happened. See, the left wants, in my opinion, they're okay and can justify political violence when it fits their need and fits their tune. But then another group of individuals shows up. They're not even violent. They're just there. And we immediately jump to, oh, well, this, uh, these people need to be barred and banned because it's, they're, they're scary or they're intimidating me. Yeah, this is the same group that can throw rocks, bottle rockets, frozen water bottles, and other debris at law enforcement, all in the name of justice. And now, now a group of individuals who seemingly just stand in the back of the room and don't do anything besides cheer and clap every once in a while, they need to be thrown out of the meeting because uh, they're intimidating. Gotcha. So they're intimidating. But the people that are, you know, have been arrested on the streets for actively attacking law enforcement, those folks are not intimidating, I guess. Stephanie Crable doesn't seem to care about them. It's just about the masks. It's, for her, just about the Proud Boys. Can't have your cake and eat it too, leftists. That's not how it works. Stick with us. Six fifty-eight. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. It is sixty degrees out at the Wilmington International Airport. Thanks for spending some time with us here this morning. So as we put a nice little bow on this whole situation about the Board of Education and masks being worn at the meetings, I think it's very important for individuals on both sides of the political aisle. And of course, I'm kind of screaming into the echo chamber here in terms of asking the left to act in any sort of appropriate or, you know, meaningful manner. But if you're going to advocate for something for one group, like they did and have done, well, then you need to have the same, you need to advocate and rally for the same thing on another group. But they don't ever do that. There are so few situations. So few situations. Where there is any sort of common sense or normalcy that is being discussed. 
right? It's whatever is the politically expedient thing to do now, the political buzz, the political word right now. So as I stated earlier, and I hope some of our Board of Education members stand up and say, if you're advocating for masks or if you were allowing one group of individuals to wear masks for whatever the reason is, then you have to allow the other to do the same. It is not your responsibility and it is not your right to pick and choose. If anybody can wear masks, then everybody can wear masks. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Let's get into season four, episode three, Facade. People get picked on. I got picked on. But Scabby Abby, Scabby at the whole school. Yeah, just I hurt me. I felt like it wasn't real. If I may, I want to defend the storytellers. The people who created the show wanted you to feel like these people were the worst people ever. They pretty much said the whole school of Smallville High are bad people. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Facts first. Yeah, well, that's a good thing, absolutely. Wilmington's Morning News with Nick Craig on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Welcome in to a Wednesday edition of Wilmington's Morning News. And, well, welcome into March. March the 1st, 2023. Great to have you here. You can text or call. Be part of the program this morning at 910-763-4000. That's 910-763-4000. There is an ongoing battle right now. You have seen it play out over the last couple of months and well it's, it's been going on for a couple of years but you've really seen it kind of materialize over the last couple of months and this is surrounding student loan forgiveness and there are a couple of different I, I'll call them buckets or silos that this conversation needs to be had in. there's the strictly financial side of it which is like strictly how much is it going to cost and things of that nature there's that then there's the moral side of it. And then there's kind of this mixture of a lot of these other arguments, including, you know, well, what about individuals that pay, you know, chose to go to community colleges and paid off all their debt and didn't get in debt in the first place? Then there's those arguments. So there's a couple of different places that this conversation has to take place. Now, we know it's been a pipe dream for the left for you know, years now to, you know, with the stroke of a pen, get rid of you know, half a trillion dollars worth of debt. But we know that there's really not much in terms of legitimacy for that. And that's why right now, or, or yesterday, ahead of, the, ahead of you know, ongoing decisions with this, a lawsuit from many states, a couple of states, five or six states, against the Biden administration made its way in front of the United States Supreme Court. Six GOP states arguing that this is not only illegal, but it's an unfair financial burden on the states in which they will have to revoke these loans. And you've got a lot of progressive Democrats that campaigned and ran on the fact that they were going to 
get rid of student loans, just wipe it all clean, which the president does not have the ability to do. Now, Congress could do that. Congress has the purse strings. They have the availability, if they wanted to, to get rid of student loan debt. They could, they could presumably wipe it clean. But that has not happened yet. The president has done this through executive order and by the use of a hero, the HEROES Act from 2003 or 2004 used for times of national emergencies. So I want to bring you to some audio from the uh, hearing yesterday. First up was the uh, individual who was arguing on behalf of the federal government. She was making her point as to why this student loan plan is not only legitimate, but should go forward as, as, uh, as written right now, and there should be no holdback on it. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. COVID-19 is the most devastating pandemic in our nation's history, and it has caused enormous disruption and economic distress. Over the past three years, millions of Americans have struggled to pay rent, utilities, food, and many have been unable to pay their debts. That's all true. All of that is true. COVID-19 was really, really rough on the economy. No argument there. No argument there at all. To head off immediate harm for student loan borrowers, two secretaries across two administrations invoked the HEROES Act to suspend interest and payment obligations for all Americans with federally held loans. But if that forbearance ends without further relief, it's undisputed that defaults and delinquencies will surge above pre-pandemic levels. I was curious about that. So for the last, let's see, COVID started in, or first came to fruition in March of 20. A couple months after that, maybe early summer, that Betsy DeVos at the time, the education secretary, stopped federal interest on student loans, stopped requirements on student loan payments. It's been like two and a half years that individuals have not had to make a single, have not been required to make a single payment. Now, if you're financially competent, what you would have been doing over the last two and a half years is dumping every extra penny that you have at these loans so that when the interest kicks back up, which it undoubtedly will, that you've already made a big dent into the principal. That would just, I mean, that would be my, that's how I would handle that situation. But of course, many individuals said, well, great. I don't have to make any payments. So we'll just, you know, blow away the money on something else instead of setting it aside to pay off my debt. So Secretary Cardona again invoked the HEROES Act to provide a measure of loan forgiveness to ensure that this unprecedented pandemic does not leave borrowers worse off in relation to their student loans. The states ask this court to deny that vital relief to millions of Americans, but they lack standing to seek that result. They principally assert harm to a separate legal person, Mohila, that could sue in its own name but has chosen not to do so. And the state's asserted harms to their tax revenues are self-inflicted and indirect. On the merits, the state say the act doesn't authorize the secretary to ever forgive loan principal. But the secretary's interpretation of this text is not just a plausible reading, it's the best reading. Congress expressly authorized the secretary to waive or modify any Title IV provision in emergencies to provide financial relief to borrowers. 
loan forgiveness is a paradigmatic form of debt relief, and the Secretary acted within the heartland of his authority and in line with the central purpose of the HEROES Act in providing that relief here. So the justification is COVID was really tough. There's a lot of people that are struggling economically. True. Some of that I will note, and you may even be able to argue uh, most of that is self-inflicted by people making poor financial decisions, like you know going to school and taking out $80,000 in debt, taking out $80,000 worth of student loans. But nevertheless, that it is right and just and that there is no standing for this uh, company known as Mohila to go against it. Well, Mohila is the Missouri Higher Education Loan Authority. They are the individuals that service the loans. They are the nation's largest loan servicer. And if you know anything about loans, well, servicing of the loans is a very profitable thing. And But somebody has to service them. Somebody's got to be responsible for that. And in this case, Mohila is the largest one in the nation, which was set up under the state of Missouri. So that's the argument that essentially the Biden administration is making. Now, the Nebraska Solicitor General, Jim Campbell, was arguing on behalf of six GOP states that this should not go forward as it stands right now. And that, in fact, the federal government does not have the right under the HEROES Act to do this. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. The secretary is attempting to bypass Congress on one of today's most debated policy questions, student loan forgiveness. After many failed legislative efforts, the secretary seeks to write off nearly a half trillion dollars in loans for over 40 million borrowers. No statute authorizes this sweeping action. On standing, Missouri has the right to vindicate the harms to Mohila. Mohila is a state-created and state-controlled public instrumentality that performs the essential public function of providing financial aid to Missouri students. The Secretary's program threatens to cut Mohila's operating revenue by 40%. That will directly undermine Mohila's ability to further its critical public purposes, and the state has standing to assert those harms. If you're a loan servicer, and that's how you operate your business, and the federal government comes in and just cuts your legs off and takes, gets rid of all of the debt, well, now you're no longer able to service those loans because, well, they no longer technically exist, right? On the merits, this is a major questions case. A nearly half trillion dollar debt cancellation program is undoubtedly a matter of vast economic and political significance. Absolutely. It is also unprecedented. Never before has the HEROES Act been used to forgive a single loan. In addition, the secretary here asserts a breathtaking power to do anything that he thinks might reduce the risk of borrowers defaulting even years after a national emergency arises. And I thought that was pretty interesting because that's the whole argument here is, well, there's going to be a lot of people that are defaulting on their loans, and that's going to be a really tough financial situation for a lot of people. And while that might be the case, why is that my problem? <laughs> and I mean, I don't say that to be, you know, ugly about it. But why is it my problem that there might be a higher rate on defaults? That's, if you have debt that you can't make payments on, that's, that's on you. 
Why is it the rest of the country's responsibility because you have a higher rate of default? Maybe you shouldn't have taken out those loans or maybe you should batten down the hatches and actually get serious about paying off your debt because most of the people that are complaining about student loans and how, oh my God, I can't get ahead of my student loans are the same individuals driving around with a $450 a month car payment. Walking around with the latest iPhone that they're leasing from Apple at 100 bucks a month and indiscriminately spending money in seemingly every other facet of their life. But, oh, student loans, I don't have any money. He needs clear congressional authorization for such power. But he doesn't have it here because the HEROES Act does not authorize this program. It doesn't. The act permits the secretary to waive or modify existing provisions because of a national emergency. It does not permit him to rewrite existing provisions to create a new program that covers 95% of borrowers and applies to them regardless of how the pandemic affected them. This court should declare this program unlawful, and I welcome the court's questions. So it was about three hours of back and forth oral arguments. We'll get into some more of those with Mitch Kokai of the John Locke Foundation. He uh, was watching it like a hawk yesterday, and uh, he'll give us some more details coming up just after 8 o'clock this morning. But we'll continue the conversation on this. I want to take you to the steps of the United States Supreme Court yesterday and Representative Elon Omar and her thoughts on student loan debt forgiveness and why we absolutely need to move forward with it as a nation. Her comments plus your phone calls and text messages at 910-763-4000 coming up. 107.9 and 980 The Wave and 1027 FM HD2. This is Wilmington's Morning News. If we're going to have a discussion about student debt and loan forgiveness, well, there's nobody better to tell us how we need to be handling it than the representative out of Minnesota in Elon Omar. And she took to the podium yesterday in front of the United States Supreme Court to give us her thoughts. And she's the arbiter of everything right and wrong. She is going to tell us why this student loan debt program needs to go forward and talk about why it's such an awful thing that we've got in this country. Here's Representative Omar. So the question today is, does the president of the United States have the power, the legal right to cancel student debt? The answer is no. It's why it hasn't been done. To that we say? Yes. Yes. No. (laughs) Is it just... For student debt to be canceled for the millions of people that are shackled with student debt. No. And by the way, why are we using the term shackled? I mean, you're the one that went to a, you're the one that went to school and signed your name on the dotted line. I mean, this what this didn't just happen by accident. You didn't just wake up someday and somebody had told you that, oh, hey, uh, you've got $100,000 that you are going to need to spend here. Why are we using the term shackled, Elon Omar? Well, come on. Is it just for us to look at the problem of student debt through a racial justice lens? No. Well, I don't even know what that means. It's a money issue. It's a numbers issue. It's a math issue. What the hell does racial justice have to do with it at all? No. The answer again, no. Is it just for us to look at the student debt crisis as an economic 
problem in this country. Yes, actually, yes. That, yes, it, it is an economic problem. Correct. Now, that's the first thing I've ever probably agreed with Elon Omar on. It is, in fact, an economic problem. In 2016, I ran for office on the promise of fighting to cancel student debt. And guess what? She has been completely unsuccessful at doing that as of uh, as of now. She's uh, been a complete and total failure at that. None of that legislation has been passed. It was this stupid executive order by Biden that now the left is claiming is uh, right and just and racially equitable or something like that. Let's head on over to our phone lines this morning. Let's kick it off with Randall. He's listening here in Wilmington. Randall, what do you say? Hey, good morning. <laughs> just the hypocrisy. I got to laugh almost, except it's not funny. Um, where, you know, these same people that are the, uh, you know, my body, my choice. Well, they made a choice to go get a big student loan and get some education. Now they don't want to pay for it. What's the difference? Exactly. And oh, now I, I, I do have to, I mean, I, I just, I really struggle when she uses it and she used it three more times throughout her announcement, her speech yesterday. She kept saying people are shackled by student loan debt. And, you know, from what I understand about history, Randall, I mean, that's not the, I don't believe that's the correct term to be using at all. You mentioned this is all self-inflicted, right? I mean, these people signed on the dotted lines. Now, yes, they were children when they did it, young teenagers, but that was their choice, was it not? Well, it was, and their parents probably had some influence in it, and nobody actually held them down and put the pen in their hand and said, you will sign or else. Well, exactly, and and that's why it's just such it's kind of a it's kind of a straw man argument that's being made by somebody there like Elon Omar in regards to this. And I I love your ad, adage there, you know, my body, my choice. Until my body signed on the dotted lines, and now I'm dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt, and now it's not no longer my choice. It's somebody else's problem to deal with. Appreciate the call this morning, Randall, at 910-763-4000. Let's jump on over to uh, line two. Terry's hanging on the line in Wilmington. Terry, what's going on? Hello. Hit us. What Hello? You got? Yes, sir. You're on the air. Oh, um, I'd first like to preface by saying two wrongs don't make a right. Sure. And I'm not for the student loan bailout. However, for those of us who lived through 2008 and saw the big bank bailout, which was about a trillion dollars, uh, some of the same people who are complaining about the student loan bailout were the ones that benefited from the bank bailout. Mm. And uh, these banks made loans they knew people couldn't pay, and yet they got rewarded for it. So uh, now you're I talking I'm about looking at the hypocrisy of it. You're talking about in 2008 they did that or now? 2008 oh, when the banks yes. were bailed out. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. Here's the problem with what's going on now. This whole situation is you can you can almost exclusively blame this on Barack Obama. His federalization yeah. of the student loan program caused pretty much. You can go to school. I could go to school today. Find some ridiculously stupid degree that is unemployable in, and I can go and borrow sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars to get a degree yep. in that program. That's and the, the inherent took problem. Took advantage of that too by they, jacking tuition through the roof. They absolutely did. Well, hold on a second, Terry. Elon Omar has the uh, answer as to why student loans are such a problem right now. Appreciate your call. More from her yesterday in front of the United States Supreme Court. What did the Republicans do? What did the Republicans do? Take a guess. What did the Republicans do? From Elon Omar, the bastion of truth and common sense. What they always.
always do is snatch hope from the American people. Oh, yes. Ah, yes, absolutely. That's all us damn Republicans ever do. We're always out here just snatching hope away from the poor American people. (laughs) Barack Obama federalized student loan debt and allowed schools to charge whatever they pleased for ridiculously stupid degree programs. And lo and behold, once again, shocker, it's the Republicans' fault. And so now they want this radicalized extremist Supreme Court to take away the hope that the President of the United States has given those of us who have been rallying for this cause. Regardless of what happens today, we are not going to stop, we are not going to rest until every single person who has student debt is freed from that and is able to have opportunity in this country. Get a freaking job. How about that? I mean, if we're talking about getting an opportunity and getting out of debt, how about you How about you get a job? I mean, that's what everybody else has to do to, I don't know, pay off their house and pay off their car. I guess if you're a Democrat, you don't have to. Stacking Benjamins with Joe and his good friend OG not only has great financial insight, it's laid back with humor too. The quiet luxury trend is out and loud budgeting is in. Are we tired of the pet names? Yeah, because I'm loud and obnoxious, so this fits right in with me. And I'm like, yes, finally budgeting for me. <laughs> I get to walk into a restaurant and go, I'm cheap as hell, and you're not getting a tip. Live from Doug's Budget. <laughs> Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. On air, on your phone, and ask Alexa. Yeah, I just always listen on Alexa. This is 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Seven thirty-six. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. You can text or call in. Be part of the program this morning at nine one zero seven six three four thousand. That's nine one zero seven six three four thousand. Our uh, big story this morning surrounds oral arguments in front of the United States Supreme Court yesterday. This uh, surrounding Biden's student loan forgiveness program. We'll get some more comments on the actual oral arguments themselves from Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation coming up here in just about. 30 minutes I want to just replay about 12 or 13 seconds here of how Elon Omar ended her soliloquy in front of the United States Supreme Court yesterday I want you to really listen in and, and, and deconstruct and really take in what she's saying here I'll play it a time or two listen it we are not going to rest until every single person who has student debt is freed from that and is able to have opportunity in this country. To have opportunity in this country. You had opportunity in this country. You continue to have opportunity in this country. The opportunity was for you to go to a bank, go to a student loan mortgager, and get loans so that you could go to school. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the textbook definition of opportunity. The textbook definition of opportunity. We are not going to rest until every... 
every single person who has student debt is freed from that and is able to have opportunity in this country. My biggest problem with student loan forgiveness, outside of the fact that it costs, I'm just going to set aside the fact that it costs nearly half a trillion dollars. Let's just skirt that over to the side. My biggest problem with student loan forgiveness is it completely incentivizes an entire generation of people. People my age, I'm 26, you're a little bit younger than me. And, and obviously older because, you know, when you get $80,000 worth of debt, it doesn't go away in two or three years. But it incentivizes a group of individuals to just indiscriminately do whatever they want with their money. It teaches nothing about fiscal or financial responsibility. It doesn't hold people accountable for their actions or for their decisions. It does none of that. And to me, for me, that is the biggest gripe. Plain and simple. Is you will have an entire generation of people that assume that whenever they get in some trouble, whenever they've made a decision and they can't get out of debt, it's going to be somebody else's problem and somebody else's fault. And that, to me, is the biggest disservice out of all of this. It really is. I don't want to hear from Elon Omar about opportunity. You don't have opportunity like the United States anywhere else in the world. So I'll be damned if I'm going to sit here and listen to her talk about how, oh, we need to give people opportunity. They have opportunity. They've had the opportunity to do this. They had the opportunity to go and borrow indiscriminate amounts of money to get a college degree. That was their opportunity. Now you've got to deal with the repercussions of it. Now you've got to deal with the consequences of it. Just like everybody else. When I bought my house... Over two years ago, I have a mortgage payment. I could come sit here on the air every morning and complain about my mortgage payment and how about it's unfair that people have bigger houses than me and that they're paid off. But that doesn't make any sense. It's a stupid argument. And it's the exact same thing with student loan forgiveness. The exact same thing. Jerry's hanging on the line in Wilmington this morning. He's at 910-763-4000. Jerry, what's going on, my friend? Hey, well, before I ask about the student loan, I mean, we're not $30 trillion in debt for nothing. The example's been set, unfortunately. <laughs> You're right. You're but absolutely saying right. that, who, um, and I, I'm asking this because I actually paid off my loan, so I'm out of the loop, you know, stupid, responsible me, but who actually owns the loans? Are they privately or are they owned by us? They're owned by the federal government. The, the government. The Obama, okay. I mean, uh, it, prior to um, 2010 or 11 or somewhere in that ballpark, you had all these, you know, uh, the Omaha Bank and all these other private uh, companies that would dole out student loans. And then you had the federalization of this under in the final years of the Obama administration. So now it's the federal government that owns this debt, at least a large chunk of it. There are still private loans but a vast majority is from what i understand federally owned debt okay then the answer would be this don't because the, what the money that is made off the debt if you pay your debt back nobody's made any money that's just an exchange of you know the interest rate drop the interest rate but don't but tell the government now you're not going to charge us in other words this is an interest-free loan so the interest rate that that the students this is a good compromise the interest rates that the students would be paying Back to the government does not go to the government, but you still have to pay your loan back, and you got a certain amount of time. 
So therefore, Mr. Big Government doesn't benefit off this at all. And, you know, I think that's a good compromise. I think student loans ought to. And wait a minute. We need to do one more thing. We need to go to these schools and say, hey, you know, y'all want to help the students? Can you take a pay cut? Because that's what we're paying for. You folks over there, probably mostly liberal going, oh, poor student loans. But if it's, <laughs> if we're, if it's government owned, it's not costing us if we tell them just pay back what you borrowed interest for. I disagree. It's not costing me or you. I disagree, Jerry, because somebody's, somebody's got to administer the program. And that's exactly what you some of these groups. Fat, you don't think there's fat in the in the system that people are sitting around picking their nose going, and you get to administrate the program. I mean, in other words, you oh, absolutely. That, whatever so, that labor is in the system. There's a great example of the there's a great example. The the group that is that these states are arguing on behalf of is a group known as Mohila. And it's the Missouri Higher Education Loan Authority. They are the serve they are the largest loan servicer in the nation. They service the loans. Mm-hmm. And they, the argument made by the Nebraska Solicitor General in front of the Supreme Court yesterday was the servicing of their loans is something like 70% of their revenue. So if you get rid of these loans, right, now you can't make any money on the servicing because that's, that's how you pay to have the people that service it. Now, I, I mean, I under, here's, here's the one thing I'll say, and one other thing I'll say in regards to this, Jerry. For the last two and a half years, these de- these loans have not had any interest on them. No interest has been accrued. No interest has been collected. How many of these individuals that are that were standing on the steps of the Supreme Court yesterday used that opportunity to pay down their debt? My my guess would be a very few of them. A very few of them, because that's they oh, don't. I'm not care. disagreeing with you in principle. I'm not disagreeing with you in principle. I think they ought to pay it back. All I'm saying is, if anybody wants to complain about taking anything away from anything. Don't make me and you pay anymore. What you say is, hey, the government's fat. There's people in there that can do these servicing in that we're already paying a salary for, and there's going to be no interest to go to the government, but y'all will pay your, your loan back. Now, I personally agree with you 100%. Pay your stupid loan back, period. What you signed up for, you pay it back, interest and all. Of course. Yeah. But it's, it's, if, I don't know why. Instead of just totally get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of the interest part. That means the government goes, wait a minute, we're not going to make any money off this? Nope, you're not going to make any money off of it. Yeah. And, you know, service it within the house. Absolutely. Appreciate your call this morning, Jerry, at 910-763-4000. I, I just, I struggle with the idea that student loan debt is different than any other loan that you take out. Whether it be a, you know, a, a line of credit from a bank or a credit union or a car payment or, you know, leasing or buying a car or a house or, or seemingly any other debt that you could possibly get. Credit cards, right? You are on the hook and you're responsible for that. And I just, I, I don't understand. I haven't heard the salient argument. I've heard the arguments. None of them are salient, but I have never heard the salient argument as to why student load should be any different. Oh, well, it's hard for people to get ahead. Okay. Sure. Why is it hard for them to get ahead? Because they're not serious about paying off their debt. That, that's what I truly believe. Because having listened to somebody like Dave Ramsey for seemingly the last decade or so, people just aren't serious about their debt. And while it might seem like it's a, a hill that you can't, you know, or a hole that you can't dig yourself out of, 
there are people that have really, really battened down the hatches, made significant sacrifices in their lives to get out of debt. Not just student loans, but just debt. Hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of consumer debt on credit cards and high-interest loans. Those the, the individuals, they're capable of doing that. People do it every day. Yet for some reason, it's a completely different conversation when it revolves around the student loan program. I, I just, I don't have any sympathy for it. I, I just really don't. It's like, to me, it's any, it's any other debt that you're responsible for. Like many of you, I have a mortgage payment. It's my responsibility to pay it every month. Oh, by the way, first of the month, my payment's due. I've got to do, I'll do that this afternoon. Or I could go stand at City Hall and protest that my mortgage payment is too much and it doesn't allow me to go and spend money on luxuries like going on vacation or going out to eat or doing all these other things I'd rather do instead of, you know, giving a mortgage company, you know, a couple thousand dollars a month. So I could, I could do that presumably, but nobody's going to have any sympathy for me because, well, it's my own problem. It's my own responsibility. Now, maybe we give them the tools. In the, how about instead of uh, just taking our magic wand and waving away half a trillion dollars worth of debt, how about we give them the resources and the tools to learn how to budget? How about we give them the resources and the tools to make smart fiscal decisions and how to actually solve this problem that they're in, like you would solve any other problem. Maybe that's a better step than, you know, Elon Omar wants to talk about opportunity. Why don't we empower people to make smart decisions for themselves instead of having our good old friend, the you know, big old government, be the ones providing the solution? That's just one thing that you could do. It's now 748 on Wilmington's Morning News. We'll grab a quick commercial break. On the other side, as the calendar reads March the 1st, that means in some local beach towns, you are going to be paying for parking. We'll let you know where and how much it's going to cost you coming up right after this on Wilmington's Morning News. in fact march the first welcome into wilmington's morning news and while uh, you know getting closer to the summer months that is of course what many folks are hoping for that comes with some significant disadvantages particularly if you are a beachgoer and then you enjoy the uh, off season where you can just roll up and uh, hang out and don't have to worry about parking well, now with the calendar reading March 1, there's a couple of local beach towns where you are going to have to start paying for parking. Our first situation takes us up to Pender County. We'll start with Pender County first, where Surf City parking is on now March the 1st through October the 31st from 9 a.m. until 6 p.m. It's $5 per hour for spots closest to the beach and $3 an hour for outlying lots and spaces. Day passes are $25. Weekly passes are 80 bucks. So that's up in Surf City. Down in Topsail, 
Well, they have announced that once again, the uh, paid parking is on and it is 172 spots that are available in Topsail March 1st through October the 31st. Same thing, nine to five $5 an hour, $25 daily. And their only changes up there surround some of the uh, fines and how much those are going to cost you. Up in North Topsail Beach, there are more than 900 paid parking spots that are available as that uh, town t- t- uh, actually splits both uh, Pender and Onslow County. And the same thing is standard up there. $5 an hour, $25 a day, 100 bucks weekly, $150 annually, or $250 annually for two tickets up or for uh, two cars registered up there. At the uh, always infamous Wrightsville Beach, March the 1st through October the 31st, 9 a.m. until 7 p.m. with some uh, law enforcement uh, taking place at certain lots until 8 p.m. That depends on where you are, but street parking is 9 till 7. $5 an hour, though some meters are $3 an hour with one-hour limits. $25 daily, a buck fifty weekly if you're going to be parking up there. Down in Carolina Beach, where they have now year-round parking. Their summer parking rates officially start today as well. 9 a.m. until 8 p.m. down in Carolina Beach, the longest there. $5 an hour, uh, $5 per hour there, $25 per day. There are some lots that are available that are private lots. Those are completely separate. These are specifically just the uh, city uh, or the town lots. Over in uh, Pleasure Island, uh, Curry Beach, well, it's uh, theirs actually doesn't start until March the 15th. So if you're a local and looking to catch a couple for a couple more uh, rays of sun without having to pay for it, maybe uh, the extra trek down uh, down south is uh, the best bet. You've got until March 15th there. Their season runs until September the 30th. Enforcement there is from 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. And the rates are $5 an hour, $20 a day, $100 a week. Over in Brunswick County, the town of Oak Island, their paid parking season doesn't start until April 1st. So maybe that's another opportunity. You can drive on over to uh, some of our folks, our friends over in Brunswick County and hang out over there. It's $5 for up to three hours at Oak Island, $20 per day or any duration greater than four hours. So obviously if you're there, $5 an hour over four hours, it caps out at $20 a day. It's $80 for a weekly pass, which is considered seven consecutive days or $175 for 1,000, or excuse me, $175 for an annual pass, which uh, there was only 1,000 of those available inside of the town of Oak Island. Following that same trend, it's the same thing over in uh, Ocean Isle, Be- excuse me, over in Holden Beach, where their paid parking program doesn't actually begin until May. Pretty interesting with that. That runs from May until October the 31st at $4 for up to four hours, $20 for any duration longer than four hours, $80 a week, and $150 annually. 
Ocean Isle Beach breaking from the trend. Currently, parking is free at all of the beach accesses over in Ocean Isle, and that includes more than 200 parking spaces, though you're not allowed to park overnight in those spots. Now, if you're planning on visiting the uh, Ocean, uh, Ocean Isle uh, Pier, parking there is $10 a day, $45 a week, or $175 for a seasonal pass, and it turns out that, that those uh, lots, uh, those spots are free after 6 p.m. And finally, we take our attention down to Sunset Beach as they uh, are looking at paid parking, but it has not come to fruition yet as they continue to discuss that. However, there is paid parking available at the pier in uh, Sunset Beach as well. That is $10 per day with seasonal passes available through a lottery system. So Sunset and Ocean Isle free for the rest of the summer. You got a couple of other Brunswick County beaches that don't start their uh, parking until April or May. And then here in New Hanover County, April 1 is when you'll get that free, or is April 1 is when they'll start charging for parking down in Pleasure Island. So something to be aware of as the temperatures, uh, you know, obviously a very warm late February. Presumably some of that will continue into uh, uh, early March. And uh, just be aware if you head on out there and forget to feed the meter, I have uh, no doubts in my mind that the uh, great folks from uh, uh, these various parking enforcement companies will have no problem slipping a, a little piece of paper under your windshield. So be advised of that. We'll bring the conversation back to this uh, battle over student loan forgiveness, except we'll be talking about more of the arguments that were made in front of the United States Supreme Court yesterday. Our friend Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation joins us coming up after this. You're listening to Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980. The Wave. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. Sebastian Maniscalco. I'm a comedian. In my 20s, I was in, like, in a company, and I don't know, like, how marketing, sales. Yeah, you're a brand. You're a company. Yeah, and... Like Jay-Z says, I'm a businessman. Yeah. Yeah. To that... Remind me not to quote any hip-hop lyrics again. That was just a big miss. When you first said it, I'm like, yeah, he's a businessman. Yeah, I nailed it at the end. I pulled it together. It just took me a minute. The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. The stories we're all talking about. Number one for news and talk across Cape Fear. 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Here we go. 8.06. Welcome in to a Wednesday edition of Wilmington's Morning News. Also, well, welcome into March. Great to have you alongside. You can text or call this morning at 910-763-4000. That's 910-763-4000. There were uh, protests outside the United States Supreme Court yesterday ahead of some uh, very interesting oral arguments that were taking place as the Biden administration is fighting for their student loan forgiveness program, something that Joe Biden promised in the 2020 campaign. And we are seeing some significant backlashes against this from, well, six states that are saying, oh, you don't have the authority to do this in any way, shape or form. It was a long couple of hours yesterday as oral arguments began in front of the nation's highest court. To give us the 411 rundown on it is our friend Mitch Kokai over at the John Locke Foundation Mitch, a bit exhausting listening to the back and forth yesterday, but I thought there was a lot of good conversation. What say you? 
Yes, certainly a lot of good conversation. And this is another reminder that ever since the COVID era, we really have seen a a big difference in the way the U.S. Supreme Court conducts oral arguments. In the past, there really was a fairly tight timetable that uh, all of the arguments for a particular case, as weighty as it is, would be condensed into an hour, sometimes an hour and a half. Now these cases can go on and on because all of the justices have a chance to ask as many questions as they want uh, before Chief Justice Roberts will cut things off. So two cases on a similar issue, and they dragged on starting not too long after 10 a.m. and going well into the afternoon. So a very interesting discussion. People who haven't been following this very closely and who don't follow what the U.S. Supreme Court does very closely might think this is really a debate over the policy of forgiving some student loan debt. And that really isn't what is at stake at the U.S. Supreme Court. It's not a debate over whether it's a good idea to forgive $400 billion or more of (laughs) student loan debt. The debate is actually about, uh, A, whether the groups that sued are able to sue. Do they have the right to sue over this policy? And then, B, if they do have that right, did the Biden administration violate its restrictions on its own power to be able to do what it did? And you heard questions from the justices on really both of those topics. The first was what they call in the legal world standing. And that is, you mentioned six states. Were those six states with Republican attorneys general, were they allowed to sue over this policy from the Biden administration? Did they have legal standing to bring suit? In the second suit, It was two people who had taken out college loans who filed suit in Texas saying that this particular loan forgiveness program uh, either would not have helped them in the case of one of them or would have only helped them to a limited extent compared to other people. And they were basically saying that they were discriminated against as college loan uh, recipients who would not be able to take advantage of this program. And so there was the, the debate about whether these folks had standing to bring the suit. Then, beyond that, if the Supreme Court decides, as did the courts at the lower level, that the, that the cases did have plaintiffs withstanding, then the, the debate is whether the Biden administration was able to go back to this 20-year-old HEROES Act, which says that in times of emergency, government officials could take steps that set aside uh, certain government rules to, to, to allow people to have a chance to, to not have to, to deal with the emergency and have to deal with rules, as in this case, it would be paying back college student loans. And, and basically, the argument is, can the Biden administration use this act that was basically a post-9-11 act to be able to say that, well, we had the COVID emergency, and even two years after the initial emergency the Biden administration could come back and use the economic effects of the COVID emergency to say that student loans can be waived or uh, uh, diminished in some respect. And there was quite a bit of discussion one way or another about that. I think you heard uh, the, the conservative justices really have a lot of skepticism about the Biden administration being able to do what it did. Uh, and the other thing that people need to keep in mind is that none of this would have happened. We wouldn't have any court case if Congress had passed a law doing what the Biden administration 
was asking for. Mm. Because Congress is the body within the federal government that's supposed to do these things. If Congress decided that people should have federal loans forgiven, then they could have passed a law saying this. In fact, the Biden administration and some people within Congress tried to pass a law to do this, couldn't do it. And so the Biden administration then went back and did it on its own. And that's what the U.S. Supreme Court has to wrestle with if they decide that these plaintiffs have standing is, did the Biden administration go too far? Did it take steps it was not allowed to take to make this happen? Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation is joining us here this morning. The two words that were kind of debated and discussed yesterday were, uh, and as it's written, is to waive or modify. Those were the two different words that uh, the Secretary of Education is claiming, well, yeah, we are able to waive and modify all of the debt um, and that is not necessarily what some of the conservative justices or what the Nebraska Solicitor General indicates those words mean, correct? Yeah, that's right. And a lot of this goes to how words are defined in the legal system. Now, you might remember years ago there was a, a lot of debate and a chuckling when Bill Clinton had that uh, deposition, and he says, well, it depends on what the meaning of is is. <laughs> and people laughed about him parsing this. But Outside of that context, in a legal context, there really is an importance in deciding what particular words mean in a legal context, because the the people who think that waive and modify doesn't mean that you uh, can get rid of this student debt at all. They're saying, look at other parts of the law, and you see that there is reference to cancel. And cancel would be what you would use when you want to get rid of the debt. You wouldn't use waive or modify. That is actually talking about something different. And so the the Supreme Court and its clerks are going to be parsing these words, seeing what waive and modify have meant in other contexts, how it compares to cancel, what it means if one part of a law says cancel and another part says waive and modify. And this is going to really come down to the legal legals the precedents they can find, and I think it'll be an interesting outcome. But that's another reason for us to remind your listeners that this isn't really a debate about the policy itself. It's a debate about whether the Biden administration, as the executive branch of federal government, was able to do what it did, or whether this is something that could only have been done by Congress. I did find it pretty cute that the uh, individual who was arguing on behalf of the federal government said, well, you know, Betsy DeVos waived the she was the one that started this by waiving student loan payments and deferring interest during the original part of COVID-19 to try and indicate, well, you know, Trump and his administration set this precedent. But it was interesting to hear from the Nebraska solicitor that not, not never before has this HEROES Act been used to cancel any debt or remove any debt. It's only ever uh, you know, suspended interest or suspended payments. It's never actually written off the debt, correct? Yeah, that's certainly true. And uh, Elizabeth Preliger, who's the Solicitor General who you referenced, uh, it, it was an important point for her to make, that this is not something that started with the Biden administration. This path was started by Betsy DeVos under the Trump administration. But you're right in the sense that what was done in the early days of the COVID pandemic was basically put off these payments, put them on hold. It wasn't 
a, an idea then that not only are we going to put them on hold, but we're going to eventually get rid of these uh, debt obligations, which is something that the Biden administration and its U.S. Education Secretary did, which is very different than Elizabeth, uh, 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 than what Betsy DeVos did. But, you know, this is part of the argument that the Biden administration is making, is that, no, we didn't do something that's completely unprecedented. We just took a step that was very similar to what Betsy DeVos did. And I doubt that the conservative members of the U.S. Supreme Court are really going to buy that this is exactly the same or the same in kind as what the Trump administration did. This is a really a, a major step beyond that by saying not only are we going to put these payments on pause, but we're going to say that you don't actually have to make these payments. We're joined by Mitch Kokai this morning. We're discussing oral arguments yesterday in the United States Supreme Court surrounding student loan forgiveness. One of the big things that the liberal justices, there's only three of them, that they really grasped onto was this acronym, which is the name of a company, MOHILA, the Missouri Higher Education Loan Authority, which is the nation's largest loan servicer. Um, what exactly did you make of that conversation? Well, that was really a large part of the discussion, and I was surprised that that took up so much of this discussion, but it, it really does make a key part of the argument against standing. Now, that's one way that the progressive justices think they might be able to win, is that if they can convince some of their conservative colleagues to go along with them and say that these states didn't have standing. And the argument was, look, the state of Missouri is part of this lawsuit, but the state of Missouri shouldn't be part of the lawsuit because it has set up this separate group, this Mohila, and taxpayers in Missouri have no uh, stake in the obligations of this organization. And if there was a concern about how uh, people in Missouri were going to be affected by this Biden administration policy, that, that Mohila group was the one that should have brought suit, not Missouri. Missouri can't speak on behalf of this group. And the argument, as you mentioned from the uh, Solicitor General speaking on behalf of the states was, no, Missouri is speaking on behalf of uh, Mohila because uh, ultimately it does bear uh, all of the obligations of this group if it somehow defaulted. Because the argument the states are making, they can't just say, we don't like this policy, we're challenging it. That would be thrown out uh, immediately. You, you can't take a policy argument to a court. People do it all the time, but they have to cloak it in legal language. You can't just say, we don't like this policy, so we think, Supreme Court, you should throw it out. There has to be a legal basis. And the legal basis that the states have been using is that the states will somehow pay a price for what the Biden administration is doing, that by forgiving this loan, it's going to have an adverse impact on the, the, ta the taxpayers of those states and on those state governments. And so the Supreme Court needs to step in and block what the Biden administration did. Because you know, the, the, the main way to challenge what the Biden administration did is for Congress to step in and say, look, Biden administration, we're the ones who are supposed to do this. We're going to pass a law saying that you, didn't, that, that you can't do what you did or that we're going to reverse what you did. But Congress is so dysfunctional, and at least one chamber of, commerce, uh, of Congress likes what the Biden administration did, so that's not going to be any way to reverse what happened. And frankly, that's one of the reasons the Biden administration did what it did. 
Is it realized that because there's a divided Congress, because the Democratic members of Congress are unlikely to fight what the Biden administration did, they're going to do it knowing probably that it's it's at least skirting the line of constitutionality, if not outright unconstitutional, and that Congress is not going to fight back. And the only way it's going to get struck down is if some legal argument is able to convince members of the Supreme Court, which is what we saw on display yesterday. Mitch, if you can hang on the line for me, I got to grab a quick commercial break. I want to ask you uh, to put your opinion hat on and we'll talk about uh, which side we think left the uh, oral arguments yesterday looking better as both sides were peppered with some pretty tough questions. Very excited to announce that tomorrow morning we will be live from the Wilmington Convention Center for Wilmington's morning news. We'll be taking part in the first Greater Wilmington Business Journal's Power Breakfast of the Year. We'll hear from individuals like Brian Eckel over at Cape Fear Development. Donna Gerardo at CLI Capital. Wilmington Mayor Bill Saffo will be sitting down chatting with us live. We're very much looking forward to that and looking forward to having you join us tomorrow here on the air from 6 to 9 a.m. on 107.9 and 980. The Wave, it's the Greater Wilmington Business Journal's Power Breakfast. We'll be there live tomorrow morning. Your station for fair and open debate in 2023. It's the topics that matter to me. Wilmington's Morning News on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. All right, five till the bottom of the hour. Welcome back to Wilmington's Morning News. We're joined this morning by our good friend Mitch Kokai. He's over at the John Locke Foundation. Mitch, I think we did a you did a phenomenal job kind of recapping everything that went on. So now I'll ask you to put your opinion hat on. Who do you think uh, left yesterday looking better in front of the United States Supreme Court? I think it's going to be an interesting call. Certainly the progressive justices are all in on not allowing either of these cases to even have a standing argument. So they're, uh, they're going to vote for the Biden administration to end up prevailing. Uh, I think you saw that there were uh, several of the conservative justices who were very skeptical of what the Biden administration did and did not seem to have that many problems with this standing issue. It'll probably end up coming down to the, the folks who we sometimes see in the middle, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts, potentially Justice Brett Kavanaugh, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, whether they also have concerns about the standing in this case. Uh, and if they don't, if they think that the six states and or the two college loan recipients were able to have standing, then I think it probably uh, tips the, the scales against the Biden administration and the court will come out and say, no, you can't use this HEROES Act to say that the COVID emergency gave you the opportunity to do something that definitely was in Congress's wheelhouse and was not in the uh, the wheelhouse of the Biden administration to do. Yeah, I thought you could talk about something that would be a real blow there, blow there to the uh, Biden administration. Mitch Kokai joining us here this morning. So what's the next step on this? Where do we go from here? All arguments yesterday, how, uh, how soon or how far is a decision away? Well, there's no guaranteed date, but it's very likely that this will be one of the decisions that we see that comes down at the end of the Supreme Court term, because it's one of the big controversial cases. And those tend to be at the very end of the term, which probably means very late in June. If this is not one of the last cases decided in the term at the end of June or the first day of July or so, it'll certainly be close to then. So I would say 
start looking in the middle of June to see decisions in this and other major controversial cases of the Supreme Court. In terms of some of the arguments that were not made uh, inside of the courtroom, now more from the overall side of it, do you think, is there a possibility, and obviously we know the Republicans have control of the House, do you think that, if depending on the oral arguments yesterday, that there's another push in Congress for them to try and ram something like this through before the Supreme Court can even make a decision? I think it could potentially happen, and of course, if Congress does something, then that would make what the Supreme Court decides moot, because really this is something that Congress can do. Now, there are plenty of good arguments about why Congress shouldn't do this, shouldn't give $400 billion of uh, relief to people who, on the whole, are doing better off because they're college graduates than Americans as a whole. Mm. But that's a policy argument. It's something Congress can do. If Congress decides to do it, the Supreme Court's decision would be ultimately moot. Yeah, so it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, how that plays out. Uh, Mitch, thanks uh, as always for the time. Uh, thanks for listening into everything yesterday, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Sounds good, Nick. Have a great morning. Thanks you as well, Mitch Kokai at the John Locke Foundation, joining us this morning. It was a uh, it was a long about three and a half hours yesterday as uh, started like ten fifteen ten twenty. Yesterday morning and listening through it through the early afternoon hours, it was a lot of back and forth, a lot of uh, peppering from both sides. You had the obviously the liberal justices, including Katanji uh, uh, Jackson Brown and and others really just laying in on the uh, the Nebraska solicitor general. And on the opposite side, you had individuals like Brett Kavanaugh, like Amy Comey Barrett, um, you know, really laying in on the uh federal government and saying, where can you point to me in any other situation where using the words modify allows you to just stroke a pen and get rid of nearly half a trillion dollars in student loan debt? So the oral arguments are here and done. Now we wait for the decision from the nation's highest court. More Wilmington's morning news coming up. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. Sebastian Maniscalco. I'm a comedian. In my 20s, I wasn't like in a company, and I don't know like how marketing sales. Yeah, you're a brand, you're a company. Yeah, and like Jay Z says, I'm a businessman. Yeah, yeah. To that, remind me not to quote any hip hop lyrics again. That was just a big miss. <laughs> when you first said it, I'm like, yeah, he's a businessman. Yeah, I nailed it at the end. I pulled it together. It just took me a minute. The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hear us like never before in crystal clear HD at 1027 FM HD2. Cape Fears News Talk and Sports. Open phone lines as we approach 9 o'clock on this Wednesday edition, 910-763-4000. That is our studio line here. You can call or text in. Right after the midterm election, and the, the days after the midterm election, we did a real deep dive into this, uh, into the midterms on this show. And one of the things that I took away, and hopefully I was able to make a, a salient and clear point on it, was that while, yes, things might be trending bad nationally, are they bad enough yet that people are willing to make a change? And I contend to you still to this day that in November, the lead up to November of last year, things were bad, 
but not bad enough. Not bad enough to cause individuals that despise anything that the GOP or the Republican Party attempts to do. Things weren't bad enough for them to make a change. But I also noted in that conversation that sooner rather than later, things are bad enough. It eventually hits a point of no return. And that point of no return happened last night in the city of Chicago where voters unequivocally, without a doubt, sent Lori Lightfoot back home. She will not be the next mayor of Chicago. The race for a mayor there was an eight or I think it was an eight way race. And the way that it worked is it's nonpartisan, similar to our municipal races here. And it's if no voter or no uh, candidate, I should say, gets over 50 percent of the vote. Well, then you go to a runoff. The top two vote getters make their way to an election that's going to happen in early April. Well, Lori Lightfoot did not make that. She came in third pace pulling just a measly 17% of the vote as an incumbent. The top two vote getters, both Democrats, Chicago Public Schools CEO and City Budget Director Paul Velas, he was the top vote getter, getting like 30 some odd percent of the vote, over, uh, over a third of what he needed. And Cook County Board of Commissioner member Brandon Johnson, and they'll be battling it out on April the 4th. Well, Lori Lightfoot addressed crowds last night, or I should say uh, a crowd. Crowds would be an inaccurate term to use. A crowd last night after it was uh, becoming more and more clear that she would not be serving another term as the mayor of Chicago. So thank you and and thank everyone so much. Um, I feel a lot of love in this room as I felt every step of the way on this journey. Uh, I've called Brandon Johnson and Paul Vallis uh, to congratulate them on their victories in advancing uh, to the runoffs. We were fierce competitors in these last few months, um, but I will be rooting and praying for our next mayor to deliver uh, for the people of the city for years to come. Thank you. ago, I looked into the camera and spoke directly to young people of color who looked like me and to every kid who felt like I did um, when I grew up. And I'm going to do that again tonight. I told you back then that anything is possible with hard work. (laughs) Well, I don't believe it would be accurate to state that Lori Lightfoot has done hard work as the mayor of Chicago. The city's homicide rate is through the roof. Crime is up just since the beginning of the year. In February, it was up like 64, something like 64% year over year. So what hard work has she been talking about? What great things has she done for the city of Chicago? The answer, of course, is absolutely nothing. And I want you to know that no matter what happens along the way, you should always believe that. Because Well, no, I 
No, I think it's actually the opposite. People see the incompetence from your time as the mayor. People see the miserable and awful job that you did with crime. And they're rebelling against it. This is true. Believe that you can bring about change. Believe that uh, you matter. And believe that you can love who you want to love and do what you want to do and be who you want to be. You will not be the Well, be what you want to be until you get shot and until you get gunned down in the middle of the streets of Chicago because Lori Lightfoot has allowed criminals to run amok, right? I mean, yeah, you can love who you want until you get axe murdered in the middle of Chicago, I guess. By how um, you fall. You will be defined by how hard you work and how much you do good for other people. That minute, that uh, just over a minute and a half concession speech, I think really does a, uh, really just does a number on her entire term as the mayor. She said nothing. She, I, I, I don't understand half of what she was saying. I stood in front of a camera, it's like listening to a Joe Biden speech. I stood in front of a camera four years ago and said that you should be able to love who you want and and make these decisions. You're the Lori, you're the mayor of Chicago. You're not deciding, you're not making decisions about gay marriage as the mayor of Chicago. That's already been decided by the federal government. That, that's not even a that's not even a relevant point to what's being discussed. So why do we talk about that this morning? Well, first, because it's hilarious. <laughs> it's absolutely hilarious. However, we do need to take a look at what led to this in Chicago. And I think that's very, very important. There comes a point, there comes a tipping point where individuals are willing and will actually make a change. And that's what you saw last night. They vote, many voters in Chicago were ready to make a change. They were fed up with her administration. They were fed up with the violence that has just run rampant in the city. So what you know how do we how do we um kind of weave that into a broader conversation more generally for for you know general elections. Well, I think it I think it does everything and proves the point that I made after the election, the midterms, that there will at at some point there will be a tip. At some point it will tip the scale and people will re- react in a way and go nope we're done i'm not we're uh, we're not doing this anymore we're not no 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 we're not doing this anymore and that's exactly what needs to be done is this stuff needs to be brought out and exposed which it has you can't hide lori lightfoot can't shy away from the crime numbers in her city and the voters rejected it year to date 87 homicides 
87 homicides. There were 43 people killed in the month of February in Chicago, now that the month's out. 43 people were killed. 119 shot and wounded in one month. Not the entire year. One month, just in February, 119 people were shot and wounded. 160 people shot in total. There's been seven people that have been murdered since Sunday already in Chicago. Seven. It's been three days. Three days. So it's not it's not necessarily a surprise. And I don't think I would I don't think you need to step out on a limb too far to wonder why she was unsuccessful in her reelection bid. The first time that that's happened to a mayor in Chicago going back to the 1980s. So is this maybe a I don't know what you'd call it, a uh, a turning point in progressive politics? That maybe, and maybe this is the, re, the the repercussions for, in this case, a lack thereof action. Do you have other big city, big urban progressive city mayors taking a look at Chicago and going, well, obviously nobody is safe. And if the incumbent governor can't get more than 17%, incumbent mayor can't get more than 17% of the vote, well, then maybe I've got a problem. Maybe I've got to clean my street up a little bit. And I will admit that I don't know a whole lot about these two guys that are going to be heading to the runoff. What I do know, however, is listening to comments from the uh, individual who is the CEO of the school system, Paul Velas. He said, we are going to clean up Chicago and we are going to make it one of the safest cities in America. Now, if he follows through on even 25% of that, he'll be 100 times better than Lori Lightfoot, who allowed crime to run indiscriminately in her city. So maybe this is a, a shot across the bow, a warning sign for other blue city Democrats that if you allow this to continue... Voters will eventually, it gets bad enough that a vo- a voters will eventually reject it. And that's what they did last night in the city of Chicago. 910-763-4000 is our phone number. Call, you're on the air. What's going on? Hey, Nick, Jersey Mike, how you doing? Jersey Mike, doing good. You know, I've watched this for a couple of years now just because it is, was so ridiculous that she defunded the police but then had the block that she lived on covered 24-7 by police. Of course. So from the very beginning, I was so amazed at this story. And if you Google the 4th of July, 4th of July, they average 50 murders a year because they can't distinguish the fireworks from the gunshots. Uh, and it's, just, it's like a killing spree for the, uh, the gangs. It's, it's just unbelievable. But you're 100% right. People can only get squeezed so much between the economy and you're afraid. I grew up uh, outside of New York City uh, in the 70s and 80s when the crime was so bad. And when it finally got to a point 
where uh, nobody would go to New York, they said, well, we're going to have to do something now. And what did they do in New York when that happened? Who'd they elect? Uh, well, they, they, there was a big reform uh, with the police. Uh, they also, uh, it was a bad economic time. A lot of businesses uh, were moving out because taxes were so high. There was a big uh, urban decay going on. So they dropped taxes dramatically, and uh, they went out and cleaned up the streets. You know, you couldn't go to uh, Radio City Music Hall or anything like that when they finally said, you know, we're get, if we want tourism and if we want businesses, we're going to have to do something. So when it finally hit them in the pocket, they did something. Yeah, and that was the election of Rudy Giuliani, who ran unsuccessful two times prior to that. Until And, and, not, and New York City was bad when he ran in the late 80s, but it wasn't bad enough. And that's exactly the point. It eventually there it's a it's a bell I don't know if it's a bell curve. It's some kind of graph. I don't know which one it is. But at a certain I guess it is a bell curve. At a certain point, it starts trending in the other direction. It starts trending back up. And that's I that's where cities like Chicago are. I think that's where cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles are rapidly approaching. Philadelphia, a lot of these urban cities, they are rapidly approaching this and at a certain point, even Democrat voters not progressive liberals, but Democrat voters will uh, will rally against that and, and elect somebody else, and that's that's what they did in Chicago last night. Oh yeah, you can if you Google the demise of Detroit, uh, it's a big uh, scroll of pictures where so many people have moved out uh, of the city. They actually have tumbleweeds and coyotes in <laughs> in sections where they have to, yeah they actually shut off the water the whole blocks of homes because nobody has lived there. And uh, I don't know if it's the mayor that's in now, but I remember it was maybe the past mayor. And then there was uh, some progressive uh, saying that, you know, hey, uh, we're not the Myrtle Capital anymore. You know, Chicago took, you know, or whatever city took our place. And they said, yeah, because nobody's left the murder. Yeah. Everybody left. From the uh, from the Motor City to the Murder City, uh, I guess <laughs> I guess is what you would say. And, you know, it's uh, Jersey Mike, I appreciate your call this morning. And, you know, we kind of chuckle about it because it is so egregious that it's funny. I mean, seriously, it's almost it's so egregious what goes on in these cities. So egregious. That's, it's almost worth a laugh. Because obviously some people in these cities don't take it seriously enough. So I don't know. Maybe this is the uh, maybe this is the crack in the in the armor here for uh, for, for progressive left wing policies in some of these cities. Who knows? I guess we'll just have to we'll just have to wait and see. All right, quick commercial break here at eight fifty two. We'll round out a Wednesday edition of Wilmington's Morning News. Eight fifty six on the uh, very busy Wednesday edition of Wilmington's Morning News. Sixty four degrees out at the airport. Temperatures today will be soaring into the upper seventies ahead of a potential passing shower storm late today. If uh, if not today, our next best chance either early Thursday morning or definitely through the day on Friday. But still, some pretty awesome weather here for uh, late February, early March here across southeastern North Carolina. Well, there is a uh, massive brush fire burning this morning up in Pender County. It's just off of Highway 421 near Shiloh Road and Point Caswell Road, and it is uh, started burning yesterday around 430. 
According to details in and around, uh, uh, according to information from uh, crews that are fighting that fire, they say that it was caused by a previous leaf burn when the fire revitalized and spread. So in a case of this, somebody you know, burning debris, which is not impossible, a lot of people do it, and they thought the fire was out, and maybe it wasn't. And then it reignited and caused, at this point, nearly 58 acres of land that are on fire. The officials do note that the fire is currently contained, and that officials say that there is no immediate danger to any surrounding areas. But drivers in and around that area in Willard, that's up in Pender County, are advised that there could very much be heavy smoke in and around that area. And for uh, individuals that have uh, had some choice words to use as they've been sitting in traffic on the uh, Cape Fear Memorial Bridge the past couple of mornings, well, I've got some bad news for you. As it looks like that construction that is ongoing and emergency rail work ongoing by CSX is going to take even longer. It started on Monday and it was supposed to be wrapped up sometime late Friday or presumably early Saturday. But according to officials, it now looks like that CSX is going to have to continue this ongoing until Monday. Meaning that not just the rest of this week today, uh, this rest of this week, but into the weekend and then throughout the day on Monday. They say Monday night it might continue. Now, I do have a uh, had a uh, email in with DOT. They passed me over to CSX. I have an email and a phone call in with CSX to try and get some information as to what exactly is going on with this. Why is it going to take at this point over seven days for this work to be completed? Why are they not working around the clock and what exactly is going on? Because it is causing some massive, massive traffic issues here across southeastern North Carolina. But as I note and say that, don't shoot the messenger, please. It's not my fault. All right, we'll be live tomorrow morning. Very much looking forward to partnering up with our friends again over at the Wilmington Business Journal for their Power Breakfast series. We've got a lot of great people coming up, including Wilmington Mayor Bill Sappho. He'll join us at 7.35 tomorrow morning. Hope you'll join us from 6 to 9 a.m. right here on 107.9 and 980 The Wave. Have a great day. The Don Bullard Insurance Studio. W What's up, folks? Anthony Armstrong here. Bob Popple, along with Super Bowl champion Carl Banks. Hey, NFL fans. This is Solomon Wilcox, former NFL safety and host of the Believe in Bengals podcast. Catch my show and all 32 Believe NFL podcasts. Listen in to former players give their inside perspective on your favorite team. Search Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's always football season, wherever you listen.